0: Good morning, uh, as James explained, uh, if you made out the acronyms of the center and my name, yes, I often have to introduce myself as Tim Tang from the Tim Center. Which, you get a little chuckle, it's a little bit awkward, and I have to say that, you know, I haven't fully come to used to it, I've been doing it for about a year now, and, uh, and I, as much as I love acronyms, I'm, I'm also here to announce that we've changed the Tim Center name to the Tim Tang Center. So I can fully embrace that name and, uh, and not say it's just an acronym, but it's actually named after me since I was a graduate of Tyndale many years ago. I know they've honorarily named it after me, so I can embrace that. Um, anyways, yeah, at the, uh, the Tim Center, we, we work with churches, we work with individuals, we work with organizations, uh, helping them to talk about culture, to do some training uh, interculturally, helping them understand their neighborhoods. If... Uh, if people haven't realized Canada is ever changing and many people's neighborhoods have changed tremendously, uh, as well as people who are going globally realize that being intercultural is a huge skill set and necessity in order to function properly and competently wherever they go. Whether they stay in Toronto or whether they go overseas, it is a competency that is required and needed anywhere. But uh, let's look at today's passage. Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount. Now, I assume, I mean, I'm speaking at Tyndale, it's, it's a summer chapel. I assume that most of you have been Christians for let's say more than a year, yes? So you've been to church for more than a year. Some of you have been to church most of your lives. Maybe some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. I'm, I'm 43 years old, I just turned 43 last week. So I'm sure some of you, some of you are my professors who years ago when I graduated from Tyndale, and I get that. And so you've heard messages about the Sermon on the Mound, and this passage about salt and light. And, and most typically, you've heard some fantastic sermons, and I'm not here to, to compete against how great those sermons were and how life-changing they have, may have been for any of you. But most typically, you've heard this passage talked about and explained, and, and maybe the preacher has talked about salt a little bit, but most often or not, they'll focus on light, won't they? Because light is easy to explain. It's easy to understand the analogy that, that Jesus used and to talk about how light, you know, being a light of the world, and it's easy to illustrate as a pastor too. You can ask people to turn off the lights and, you know, have a flashlight and the, how the light reveals things and shows things in the dark. And, you know, just like the gospel reveals things in this world. I mean, even this chapel, light was, was manipulated so that it would come through the glass. And most of our churches, those of you who have maybe nicer churches, light is used in your chapels. But how often are our chapels and sanctuaries and churches built out of salt? Very few. And few of our sermons are actually gone deep into explaining what salt really means and what Jesus really talked about. Sometimes people will take salt and and they'll talk about its flavor and, and it may mean deep things to some people. There's somebody in my congregation who loves salt. He, he, would put it, he would put it pretty much on the altar because he loves salt so much. He's kind of a, a closet enthusiast chef. Uh, he puts salt on everything. Yes, he has high blood pressure, he, but he also confessed to me that, you know, sometimes he'll have some, some fancy salt that he'll keep in the kitchen. And when he walks by the kitchen, he'll just take a pinch and throw it in his mouth because he just loves how amazing salt is. And all of us have experiences with salt, right? And we flavor our steaks with it, our fish, whatever food we will add salt to things. I knew a guy when I was in grade seven, going to school, he would add salt to his milk. I don't know if you're in that camp. If you are, we'll pray for you after the service. But salt is something that is flavorful, it's tasty. And most often or not, when preachers talk about salt, they'll think about that traditional view of taste. So I put the salt there, for those of you who like that idea of flavor, now, if you want the tea to mean, you know, taste, it can. If you want the tea to mean Jesus, it can. If you want the tea to mean the Tim Center, by all means, that's what the tea is there for. Um, but the traditional view of salt being taste, I get. And, and if that's what you need to hear today, that Jesus is saying to you, you've lost your flavor, you've lost your tastiness, you've lost what it means, the, the saltiness of the earth, great. But as I did a little more digging, I I started to wonder, does it mean anything more? Being a good Tyndale graduate, I did some cross-referencing of passages. And you'll notice in Luke, uh, Jesus uses the same phrasing and verses, very similar to what Matthew does. And try to understand what he tried to possibly meant by salt and light. And in Luke, he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty Again, uh, very much like Matthew, same thing. And you're still kind of wondering, okay, great. Saying the same thing. But then he goes on and says this, Luke, it is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about your manure pile at home, but most of us don't add salt to our manure pile. So this actually caused more confusion. The more I tried to study it. And most of us don't throw salt on the soil. So what in the world did Jesus mean? So, I did a little bit more digging. Tried to understand what salt meant in the first century. Now, again, if you like this idea of salt and taste, and it really resonates with you, and you too have high blood pressure, then just stay there and just focus on the taste. But for me, as I started doing some digging, I realized that in the first century, people took their salt, and actually, I lost my bowl. I have three bowls, don't worry. Um, They took their salt... And scattered it across the soil. They would take their salt. Pour it out. And scatter it on their soil. Now. I do not have a green thumb. Anybody have a green thumb? Do you know what green thumb means? Green thumb thumb means you plant things. And they grow. They live. Things will flourish. When I plant things in my backyard. It's like a cemetery. I have buried it. It is dead. It is gone. So. If, for those of you who have green thumbs, if you poured salt on your plants, what would happen? They would die. You would, you would resonate with me, the cemetery in my backyard, and you too would be a murderer and killer of plants and animals. Whatever, because salt kills. Uh, for some of you, I mean, my uncles who grew up in Hong Kong, they told me stories of pouring salt on insects because they were very happy children. And, uh, and they killed those animals in the same way because salt kills what we don't understand is that salt in the first century was very different than the salt we use today. The salt in the first century was had parts of magnesium, potassium, and gypsum. Now, if you picked up your phone and Googled gypsum, gypsum is harvested today for its primary use of fertilizer. So the first century salt was very different than ours. And the first century Jewish people knew that if they used salt in its proper amounts, they would actually bring life and not death. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you've lost your saltiness, does he say to them, you've just lost your flavor? Or does he say, you've lost what it means to bring life into this world? You've lost what it means to bring life into this world. Now, I don't know where you guys are at in terms of your lives, but but I wonder for how many of us we've forgotten what it means to bring life to people. And maybe for some of you who are professors and teachers, you're trying to get through a curriculum. I get it. Content. You've got to get these guys to understand the contents. But are you actually bringing life to people around you? Those of you who are students and you're, you're paying customers, you're paying your professor to the school, and you want to be fed. But are you bringing life at all to your classmates and your professor in any way or form? Jesus says, You forgot what it means to be salty to bring life to people who are around you. Now, as I said earlier, I don't like the acronyms, so I'm going to use the acronym in my sermon. So T for traditional, L for life, A for absorption. Sorry, I'm looking around because I'm wondering where I put my notes. Uh, Other uses for salt. In the first century. In the first century, they often also took their salt. And much like today, they would take their fresh food, fresh fish, fresh Meat, fresh vegetables, and they would pour salt all over it. Why would they pour salt all over their food? Flavor. flavor. Why else would they pour salt all over the food? To preserve it, right? So they would pour salt over their food to preserve it. Probably not bacon, because the Jewish people didn't eat bacon. By the way, they didn't eat bacon. But they poured it on their fish. They poured it on their vegetables. They poured it on any of their fresh food to preserve it. Now, in the first century, they didn't necessarily have a micro biology degree or understand how it works or what it did. But at a micro level, what does salt do to food? It dries it out, it absorbs the water, it absorbs the impurities, it it absorbs those things that cause it to go bad. So salt was seen in the first century, much like it is today as a powerful method of preserving and absorbing impurities. In fact, in the first century, and for centuries before, and there's evidence even in the Old Testament, that salt was seen as such a powerful thing to absorb impurities that they would pour it on newborn babies. They would take their newborn babies, cover it in salt, and as a ritual, believe that it would cleanse the baby. Ezekiel 37, by the way, those of you who like to look up the Bible. Salt was seen, not just as a flavoring method. Salt was seen, not just as something that brought life, but something that absorbed impurities. When Jesus said to his disciples, you've lost your saltiness, is he saying to them, yeah, you're not flavorful anymore? Or was he saying, you're no good for the soil anymore because you don't bring life anymore? Or was he saying, you're no longer absorbing impurities of this earth? The corruption that was around them, the lying, the deceit, the ways that people were living. "Ah, Yeah, let's just go along because everyone's doing it. I don't know what's going on in your life, but what is Jesus saying to you when he says you've lost your saltiness? Is he saying you've just lost your flavorfulness? Or is he saying maybe you're not bringing life anymore to those around you? It's Mother's Day. Do you celebrate your mother more than just Mother's Day? Do you bring life to your mother or do you just hope that she has a semi-happy life as she continues to grow? Or is God and Jesus saying to you, what in your world is not right? What in your relationships are not healthy and you've just gone along with the flow and forgotten that you're here to absorb the impurities around you? If you do a little bit more digging in the first century, the Israelites, before they had land, before they had agriculture, they were nomads and wandering into the desert. And if you're wandering in the desert after a couple of years, at least a couple of days, you'll probably get a little bit hungry and you'll take your food, whatever it is. Maybe you have fish, maybe you have some meat that you found somewhere and you're going to want to cook it, right? So, so you'd build a fire. Now, what would you burn if you're in the desert to cook your food? Anybody, anybody been in the desert lately? manure I love this guy. Most people say well you would take some fruit branches and burn the branches. Well it's great. I don't know about you, but if you've been in the desert, there's not a lot of branches in the desert. And most nomadic people have discovered, not just the Jewish people, that because there's not a lot of things to burn, you can't burn sand. Sand does not burn very well. So what would they do? They would take their manure and light it on fire and burn. And they would burn their food with the manure, they would cook their food, sorry, with their burnt manure. Now, obviously this is not a tradition that's been carried on because most of us, some of you do, like your meat flavored with manure. However, this is a actual practice that was practiced for centuries uh, by nomadic people and probably still even today. But they discovered in the first century and for centuries before that, but the manure is not only not the greatest tasting uh, agent for fueling their fire, but manure actually doesn't burn very well. So, The nomadic peoples who had salt that was different than ours also had salt that didn't come out sprinkled, but it came in brick form. And they discovered at some point that if they took their bricks and put it underneath their fire, their poo, their dung, that it would actually catalyze with the manure pile and cause it to burn brighter and hotter and longer. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you're no longer salty, does he just say to them, ah, you're not tasty anymore? Or does he say to them, you're no longer bringing life to those people around you? Or is he saying to them, A, we're spelling salt backwards in case he didn't figure it out. Or is he saying to them, you've forgotten what it means to absorb the sin around you Or is he saying to them, you've forgotten what it means to be a people integrated in this world to cause others to burn brighter, to burn hotter, to burn longer for God? What was he really saying to his disciples? I think on many levels, he's probably saying all of those things, depending on where people were and what was going on in their lives. What does this passage say to you? I don't know barely any of you and your lives and your journeys and what's going on with you. But I know that as you uncover this understanding of salt, you need to uncover what's going on in your own life. And maybe for you, as you think through, what does salt mean for me? And if Jesus were to say to you, you've lost your saltiness, what does it mean? Is he simply saying you've lost the the flavor and and the taste of who you are? Or is he saying, you've no longer lived for other people. You're living selfishly. You're just doing things for yourself. You're no longer bringing life to those around you. Those of you who may be new parents know exactly what that's like. But how soon does that change from loving and caring this wonderful child and baby? But as soon as they start rebelling against you, you're ready to take life. How many of you are in situations, maybe your church situation, maybe a community, maybe an organization where you just know the way things are going on right now, it's just not right. But you just "Ah, got to survive. I just got to get through this organization. Maybe your own families and the the way they interact, you know, is just not right. But you're not going to speak up because eh, it's not your place to speak up. But are you even close to understanding what it means to absorb sin and the impurities that are going on in your family dynamic? Maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, you know what, Tim? You don't understand. And you know what? I don't understand. You don't understand where my situation is, how complicated it is, how destructive some of the relationships I found myself in, my marriage, our family, it's difficult. And my church, it's complicated. I get it. Churches are complicated. Just a little bit. And maybe for some of you, you think to yourself, my life, Tim, other than these wonderful courses at Tindall that I'm taking, I feel like I'm in the bottom of a manure pile. Because this is just really difficult but guess what that's exactly where Jesus wants you where you are no matter how much it stinks no matter how much it smells no matter how much under a manure pile you may feel that's exactly where Jesus wants you but he doesn't want you just to to survive he doesn't want you just to to get by and to to hopefully live till the eternal life and get into heaven with a Pass that you got somewhere he wants you there to cause others to burn brighter to burn hotter to burn longer as I preach this message and as I went through it studying this passage I had to ask myself well what does this mean for me what does this passage really mean to me? And for me, you know, as a, as a pastor, about 19 years, one of the most difficult things as a pastor, uh, for some of you who may be pastors, I mean, there's a lot of difficult things that happen as a pastor. Um, maybe one of the most difficult things as a pastor is to actually see people leave your church. Uh, that's tough. No matter, no matter who you are, it's tough not to take it personal. It's tough not to take it a little bit, you know, be a little bit defensive, especially if you're the person at the pulpit preaching all the time mean, you're the, you're the main face of the church and people, when they leave, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult uh, In Chinese culture, uh, leaving a church community is more than just, I don't believe in this doctrine anymore. But leaving somebody's church to go to another church, that really gets to the core of someone. To the leadership, to the people of the community. What I mean by that is it's almost more palatable in some communities, not everybody's community. But it's almost more palatable for somebody to leave the church altogether than for them to leave the church and go to another church. Because there's something that really hurts, that really digs deep. And as a pastor of 19 years, I'll confess, it hurts a lot. So when I think about this passage and salt, I think about the last meaning of salt. And the last meaning of salt is that in common use today, even in the Middle East, people will sometimes say, when they come to an agreement to one another, they will say, hey, 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 there's salt between us. There's salt between us. Because in the Middle East, and in some other places, salt is one of those things that they've understood. It's one of the only minerals that we actually ingest. Everything else we add to our food is an herb or a plant or something that's organic or whatever it is. But this is a rock. This is a piece of rock that you're putting in your body that lasts a long time and it stays in your body. And some of you who have had kidney stones, God bless you, I will pray for you after the service. Understand how much it can stay in your body. And so this common saying of there's salt between us is a comment of permanence between you and I. In fact, people would often come to an agreement. Instead of signing a contract like we do in North America, they would share salt with one another. And there's, they would say there's salt between us. There's an agreement. There's a covenant. In the Old Testament, those of you who study Old Testament, salt covenants are actually littered all the way through the Old Testament. Because salt was almost as significant as wine in terms of having covenants between one another. So when people say there's salt between us, there's a covenant, there's a relationship. And so when people leave your church and go to another church, they're no longer living in covenant, they're just looking for a better product. And that hurts, and that's tough, and some of you who are pastors resonate with that. And the reason why I resonate with that personally myself is as I, as I contemplate possible transitions in my life, perhaps out of pastoral ministry, I wonder to myself, if I were to leave my church, what does that mean to have salt between my church members and myself? After 19 years of ministry, how do I convey to them that there's still salt between us if I make that transition? What does it mean for you? When Jesus says you've lost your salt, what does it mean? Again, I, I don't know your life. I don't know your journey. I don't know what you're going through at this very moment. But Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me, you've lost your saltiness. Maybe for some of you, he means you've simply lost what it means to be flavorful in this world. You've lost your, your, your zeal, your zing, your, your passion. How do you get it back? Maybe for some of you, he's, he's saying simply, you've lost what it means to bring life to those around you, to actually add to people around you. You're living selfishly. And you've forgotten what it means to bring life to others. And maybe for others, Jesus is saying, you've lost what it means to live and absorb the sin that's around you, the corruption, the lies, the ways that that people are of this world. And you just think, I I just got to fit in. I got to just kind of go under the radar and just survive. But he's calling you to absorb sin, the sin that's around you in your own personal life, even not even other people, but yourself. Maybe for some of you, he's saying, you may feel like you're at the bottom of a manure pile, but that's exactly where I want you to be, to be a catalyst, to cause others to burn brighter, to cause others to burn hotter. But maybe for some of you, I don't know where you're at in terms of your life, your career, your journey, but maybe Jesus is saying to you, let there be salt between you and those around you. May you be in a covenantal relationship, not just for those of you who who are in marriages, those of you who are with organizations. Are you living in covenant relationship with those around you? We are at Tyndale. You get homework sometimes. Some of you give out homework. So you have homework today. Your homework is the next time you go to Tim Hortons, which for some of you, you've already gone three times today. The next time you go to McDonald's, the next time you go to Harvey's or whatever fast food chain, and you go and reach for salt, pepper, sugar, whatever it is, I only you to take one more package of salt. Now, some of you say, no, no, Tim, I never go to those fast food places. I only go to Sushi Bong, and Sushi Bong is the only place I eat. Well, when you go to Sushi Bong, and they don't have a salt package, but they have a command package, you go and take another command package and take one extra one and tell them that uh, President Gary Nelson told you to take it in case somebody questions why you're taking it. And you take that salt package or key command package or whatever salt package you can and your homework, and I'm not going to know if you did this homework. This is is not a pass fail thing. I want you to bring that package of salt to your church. I don't know what church you go to or new expression of faith that you're a part of, but you take that package and you bring it as your offering. And you say to that community, there's salt between us. I'm not going to go ask all your churches, whether or not you do this, this homework assignment. But as you do so, may you remember Jesus' words to you. Be the salt of the earth. Bring flavor to those around you. Bring life where there's no life. Absorb the sin where you see sin around you. Be a catalyst to cause others to burn brighter, to burn longer. And as you drop that package in the offering, May that be a covenant between you and your people, that there is salt between us. Let me pray for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we continue in our day and our journey, for some of us students taking courses, for some of us faculty and staff beginning our summers, no matter where we are, no matter what journey we may be in, some are on, on transition, some in the beginning of a, of, a, of, a, of a season, God, you're challenging us to contemplate what does it mean to be salt in the earth. May you reveal to us individually and collectively what it means to truly be the salt of the earth. May you give us courage, May you give us desire. May you give us passion to not lose our saltiness. In Jesus' name we pray.